If you're a guest with us this morning, we're delighted that you're here, and you need to know that we are in a summer series called Lifelines, and we've taken the favorite passages of Scripture in this congregation, and we're exploring them on a weekly basis, and today uh, is Hebrews chapter 11, and it's a dandy. If, if you don't know it, you need to become better acquainted with it, and I hope that'll happen this morning and in the days ahead as you study it on your own. Most of you are familiar with the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, and the Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, uh, but you may not realize that almost every other sport has a Hall of Fame. In the first service this morning, I said, with the possible exception of curling, every sport has a Hall of Fame, and one of the men Googled curling, and yes, they have a Hall of Fame. We used to doodle during sermons, now we Google during sermons, and uh, the end result's a little different. But, but it's not just limited to sports. There is a National Aviation Hall of Fame, a U.S. Spacewalk Hall of Fame, a NASCAR Hall of Fame, and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Hall of Fame. There are halls of fame devoted to inventors, engineers, toys, radio, agriculture, cowboys, circus performers, and the list seems endless. But far longer than any of these halls of fame have been around. God has had a faith hall of fame. It's not located in some faraway city. There's not a lot of memorabilia in some building. It is contained in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. The list begins in a garden and it ends in a palace. The list includes men and women, commoners and kings, rich and poor, rural and urban, Jew and Gentile. The scenes are set in Eden, Chaldea, Canaan, Egypt, and Israel. The list includes a farmer, a carpenter, a shepherd, a prime minister, a general, a prostitute, a judge, a prophet, and yes, a king. Honestly, they had nothing in common except for the one thing that matters most in life, faith in the living God. I have to wonder if God would add to this Hall of Fame today, if he would add another chapter to Hebrews 11 from our current day and time, would our names appear? Are we living such lives of faith today that he would include us because our lives could be an encouragement to future generations? And if you have to answer that, I don't think my name would be there. Then you have to ask yourself the question, why? Because we ought to be living in a way and fashion that our names too could appear in God's Hall of Fame for faith. I'm going to explore this passage for just a few moments this morning and, and, and draw out some of the, the, the gems, the truths that are here. And so let's begin with verse 1, which is, by the way, faith defined. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is the clearest definition of faith that we find in the scriptures. And if you understand in the writing, the style of the Hebrew writing, that if you wanted to emphasize something, uh, if you wanted to poetically make it memorable, then you said the same thing twice but in different words. And that's exactly what we have here for faith. Faith is being sure or being confident of what we don't yet have but we are hoping for. It is being certain or convinced about the reality of what we cannot see. Now, those are basically the same definitions. 
but the, the book of Hebrews says it twice so that it impacts our memory. Last week I said we cannot survive in this life without hope. This week I want you to know we cannot live this life to its fullest without faith. And just because faith is necessary and vital doesn't mean that faith comes easy. Uh-huh. little boy that had grown up in, in, in Sunday school hardly had missed a Sunday. He's about kindergarten age, and he comes in for lunch. His mother has called him in for lunch, uh, as she had every day of the summer, and she said the same thing to him that she said every day. She said, wash your hands and get rid of the germs. And he grunts, and he's, he's on his way to the faucet. He mutters this, germs and Jesus, germs and Jesus. That's all I ever hear is germs and Jesus, and I haven't seen either one of them yet. Faith is hard when you cannot see the object of your faith, but then if you could see the object, it wouldn't be faith. Faith is not easy, but it is vital. Martin Luther King Jr. said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, all I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all I have not seen. Quadriplegic Johnny Erickson Tata said, faith isn't the ability to believe long and far into the misty future. It's simply taking God at his word and taking the next step. Yes, but you say, there are a lot of people that don't believe in God. They don't have faith in God. I, I, I understand that. But even those who don't have faith in God express faith in everyday living John Lennox, a professor of mathematics at Oxford University, notes that the word faith isn't a religious word. Our English word is derived from the Latin equivalent, which means to trust or reliance. Lennox also notes that atheism is a faith position, and science itself cannot do without a certain element of faith in it. For instance, scientist and atheist Richard Dawkins wrote this. He said, an atheist is someone who believes there is nothing beyond the natural physical world, no supernatural creative intelligence lurking behind the observable universe. Note the word believes because the atheist cannot prove there is no God. And so by faith they believe he does not exist. Physicist Paul Davies, who is not a Christian, says, even the most atheistic scientist accepts as an act of faith the existence of law-like order in nature that is at least in part comprehensible to us. We can't necessarily explain the laws of nature, but we by faith accept them as they are. So regardless of your religious background, faith is, is really an expression of everyday living. What is faith? It's riding as a passenger in a taxi through the city of New Delhi, India. That ride changed my spiritual experience in life. I've never prayed more as a passenger in a car than I did in that taxi. Faith is putting an important payment check in the mail, trusting that it will arrive safely and timely. Faith is boarding any airline flight to any destination. Faith is letting a surgeon operate on you while you are completely oblivious to what's going on. Faith 
is planting a seed in the ground and expecting a harvest. We do things by faith every day that we live. And faith is not contrary to reason, folks. Faith just goes a step beyond reason. Noah had no way to comprehend the impact of a global flood. He couldn't reason that out. He couldn't comprehend the significance of that, but he, in faith, built the ark anyway. You see, faith calls out from us, I think, an intellectual, reasonable, and thoughtful response. You don't have to put those things on the shelf to have faith. As a matter of fact, if your faith is best on guesswork and chance, I really don't want any part of your faith. Faith ought to be intellectual. It ought to be reasonable. It, it, it is built upon reasonable and historic evidence. If the evidence is there, then believe. And I honestly am convinced that if you will genuinely, with an open mind, explore the evidence you will come to no other conclusion that there is a God and that you need him and his son more than anything else. For centuries, the, island of, the islands of New Zealand were unpopulated. No human being had set foot on them. And then early settlers arrived from other Polynesian Pacific islands. They had sailed for a thousand miles in their outrigger canoes to make a new life in New Zealand. And you say, how in the world did they know New Zealand was there? I mean, if you're going to get an outrigger canoe and you're going to make your way a thousand miles, how do you know that there's something out there to land on? It's because for years, when they voyaged out from their home islands, they had seen a long white cloud on the distant horizon. They knew that when a cloud stayed in one place over a very long period of time, that there was land beneath that cloud. They called the islands of New Zealand the land of the long white cloud. You see, they didn't just take off foolishly. They looked at the evidence. And even though they could not see the land, they knew it was there because the evidence pointed them in that direction. Bob Shannon makes this observation. He says, faith is like that. It is voyaging to an unseen land, journeying to an unknown future. But it is not mere guesswork or chance or superstition that is behind faith. There are facts behind faith, facts that suggest conclusions. Faith is not going against the facts. Faith is not ignoring the facts. Faith is taking the facts and then going beyond them in the direction toward which those facts point. Here's another thought about faith. It's not the amount of your faith that makes the difference. It's the object of your faith that makes it powerful. Let me see if I can illustrate it poorly this way. <clears throat> you know that uh, I like all things aviation. I I've always thought how cool it would be if we could just fly. You know, that, that we didn't need airplanes, helicopters, and paragliders to do that, that we could just fly. Like the birds, if we could just flap our, our, our arms like the birds flap their wings, that we could fly. That would just be something great. Now, what if, what if I, I started to really believe that that was possible? And for the next five years, I devoted all, all the power of positive thinking that I could to that thought. And what if I devoted my studies to the studies of the flights of the birds? And, and I did everything within my power and actually convinced myself that I could fly to the point that I set a date. I invited all of you and I jumped off the roof. What would be the conclusion? Depends on how high the roof is as to how many bones I would break. Because it just doesn't work that way. 
No matter how strongly, no matter how sincerely, no matter how much study and energy I put into believing that I could fly, I'm not going to be able to fly. Because you see, the object of that faith was me and my arms. And, and God didn't equip me for that. But are you ready for this? Someday, you and I will soar without rotors, wings, or shoots. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we be with the Lord forever. Do I believe that's true? Absolutely I do. Because it's not faith in what I could do, it's faith in who he is and what he's promised because he's never failed to keep a promise yet. You see, it's not how much faith I have. It's the object of my faith that gives it power. Faith. The things that we hope for, the things that we cannot see, we're convinced of. Here's the second thing. Faith is demanded of us. In, in verse 6 it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Notice two things about that, two facets of faith. We must believe that God exists, and number two, we must believe that he rewards those who seek him. If you've ever prayed to God in a crisis moment of your life and God did not answer the prayer like you prayed it, you may believe that God does not answer those who seek him. But I think the key is into the two verbs here. The verbs come and seek. They are present, which means it's a continuous action. It is those who continue to come and those who keep on seeking that the promise is made to. This is not for the convenient faith seeker. This is for those who seek him every day of their lives. That's who can claim the promise. And without that kind of faith, it is impossible, impossible to please God. Here's the third thing. Faith is demonstrated, and the demonstration in the lives of these people then becomes, for us, a model. And, and as you look at this list of people here, you, you are struck by the fact that they were all faithful, persistent. They were enduring in faith. Look at verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. I hope somebody can say that about every one of us in this room. Well, they were still living by faith when they drew their last breath. That's an enduring faith. It's not for the moment. It is for the entire race. Verse 5 speaks of Enoch as one who was so pleasing to God that one day Enoch and God went out for a walk and God just took him home. He didn't die. Only one of two mentioned in scriptures who didn't experience death like we know it. Enoch was one. Elijah was the other who was taken home in a fiery chariot, according to the scriptures. And you say, well, it's not a surprise. Back then, it was easy to be pleasing to God. It was, life was simpler. It was easy to follow God. Really? Do you realize that Enoch was only three generations removed from the flood? 
that Enoch may be un, have been alive during the time that the ark was starting to be prepared, that God destroyed the world at that day and time because the wickedness had gotten so bad that the Bible says that the very thoughts and intentions, every thought and intention of, of the mind was nothing but evil at that day and time? You think it was easy to live a really good life back then? I, I, I think we've got it better today. I know it's not easy. But in our, in our culture, in our ease of life, in this place where we have such freedom, I think we may have it easier than Enoch. You see, human nature hasn't changed a lot over the years. What about Joseph? He's also mentioned in this passage. He was hated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was lied about by his master's wife. Consequently, he was put into prison for 13 to 14 years. And yet, through it all, he never stopped walking by his faith in God. Let me see the hands of all those who have experienced the same thing Joseph experienced. That's what I thought. You see, we look at these people who live by faith. They had their struggles as well. Human nature hasn't changed. Faith was a challenge then. It's a challenge now. Does your faith dictate your actions all the time? Does your faith make an enduring difference in this world? Does your faith determine how you treat your family, your friends, your co-workers, your employees, if you're the boss? Does it dictate how you act in our community? Does your faith determine the kind of business deals that you will participate in and the kind of business deals you will turn down or avoid because they, those deals don't reflect your faith? I mean, does it impact the way you do business? If your faith in God is not the primary motivator of your life, you're not living out verse 6. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Tim mentioned uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ earlier who are in northern Iraq, the, the Kurdish Christians who are facing death. For their faith, just simply because they are believers. They've already been put to the test. They fled to the mountains because they will not give up their faith. I don't know. I would hope that our faith would be as strong should that begin to happen here this morning. But I don't think any of us would know until we are face to face with the possibility of death for that faith, how deeply that faith runs. Will you pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the mountains now hoping to survive? But more than their earthly survival, will you pray that they will have the faith not to surrender in the face of death? Because you see, this world is not our home. And in this passage, we also see patience in faith. Look at verse 13. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. In other words, they, they didn't see the future uh, yet, but they were hoping for the future. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We really are strangers in this world. We're just passing through. We're on vacation in this world. Our ultimate destination is what God has prepared, and we wait patiently by faith. Do you realize Noah waited years before the flood came after God called him to build the ark? It took a long time to build the ark. Some even suggest from, from the scriptures that maybe he waited as much as 120 years 
uh, uh, to, before the rain actually started. I don't know how many years he waited, but he waited years. And when they got on the ark, they waited seven days. The door was shut. He and his family are inside, cooped up in this floating zoo with all these animals. And for seven days, not a drop of rain fell. That would be a long week, wouldn't it? And yet by faith, he patiently waited on God. Can you imagine his neighbors during that week? What they said, what insults were hurled, what laughter was generated. But when the rain began to fall, Noah's faith was vindicated. Joseph, as I mentioned, was imprisoned for 13 to 14 years for a crime. Well, he didn't commit. He didn't commit the crime. He didn't do anything wrong. Life in an Egyptian prison of that day would have been totally different from prison life today, but he waited patiently on God. Moses led the Israelites for 40 years somewhat aimlessly through the wilderness till that older generation died, but Moses waited on God patiently. Faith without patience is a weak faith. When we pray, sometimes God says no, sometimes God says yes, but very often God says, wait a while, be patient. I have a better plan in mind. And sometimes, folks, what we think would be absolutely the best thing in the world may have drawbacks that we cannot see. I know we got a lot of golfers in, in, in the congregation here. Uh, what do you think, short of being in some kind of a tournament where you win the tournament, what would be the prize for any golfer? Hole in one, right? I mean, if you're out on the course, you're playing with a group of friends, you hit a hole in one, that's the berries when it comes to golf, short of winning some kind of a tournament. You and I would look at that as, as a highlight, but I have read that, that golfers in Japan who love the game don't really want a hole in one. And the reason I understand is that because it is the custom there that if you shoot a hole in one on the course, then you have to buy dinner for everybody that belongs to that golf club along with gifts and prizes. It will oftentimes cost you over $10,000 if you hit a hole in one. And so Japanese golfers carry hole in one insurance <laughs> so that if they end up with one, the insurance pays for it. You see, we look at that and think, man, that would be the greatest thing. But in some respects, that could be a real hardship, especially if you didn't have the insurance. Sometimes we think in this life that we've got a bead on exactly what the best thing would be for us. God says, wait patiently. You think that's good? I've got something far better in store. Be patient in your faith, and you will eventually see how God works everything together. This group that we have listed here was broken in their faith as well. They remained faithful even in their brokenness. Everyone on the list was guilty of sin, but most listed here were also guilty of a flawed character. Look at this list of names. Noah got drunk. Abraham lied. Jacob deceived and stole a birthright. Moses struggled with anger and killed an Egyptian. Rahab was a prostitute. Jephthah made a foolish vow to God and cost his daughter her future and family. David committed adultery that led to a murder, and the list goes on and on. But did you notice, in each one of those cases, not one of those sins is mentioned in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. When God pulls out his hall of fame of faith, he doesn't talk about the sins. He only talks about the victory of faith. You know, the Bible says that when we seek God's forgiveness, he forgives our sins and he buries them in the depths of the sea and remembers them no more. I, I can't do that. 
I, I can remember my sin. I'm haunted by my sin, but you are too. But when God forgives, He forgets them. I'm glad the Old Testament includes the picture of the whole story in these people's lives because we can learn from it. But aren't you glad that when God comes to the hall of fame of faith, He doesn't focus on the sin. He focuses on the faith and the victory and the endurance and even in the midst of their brokenness, how He used them. So, all of us in this room are flawed people. Not one of us has life all put together. Aren't you glad that God still loves us and can use us in our brokenness if we walk by faith? Last thing, faith helps us endure. We are encouraged through the enduring faith to the very end. Now, the, the, the whole part of this bleeds over into chapter 12, and so let me read from chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I am so encouraged by this picture of being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but here's the image that I carry in my mind. This is just my picture of it. There are days, there are days when I feel like throwing in the towel in this walk of faith. Sometimes life just gets hard. Anybody else? You just, you just, I don't know if I can do it anymore. It's just too many things. And on those dark days in our life, on the sad days, the tough days, the hurtful days of our life, I get this picture of Hebrews in, in my mind. And it is this picture that we're on this track. We're running a race, this race that we call life, and we're headed towards some kind of a finish line down the road. And all along the side of the track are all these people listed here, shout, shouting and cheering. There's Moses, and there's, there's David, and there's Jephthah, and there's Rahab, and, 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 and there's Joseph. And then, then I see great-grandparents and grandparents, and I see spouses and loved ones and family and children who are there cheering on, and suddenly I get this image, I can make this. I'm not alone in this walk. I'm not alone in this journey. I can make this, and I look to the finish line, and I see this one who is cheering louder than all the rest, and his pierced hands are out to welcome me home, and I can hear him say, keep on, keep on, don't give up, stay the course. We are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And the writer of Hebrews says, so get rid of any weight that might weigh you down, any habit or hobby that keeps you burdened. No runner runs carrying baggage or weights. And get rid of the sin that can entangle you and trip you up and keep you from reaching the finish line. And keep your eyes on the goal and the one who stands there beckoning you forward. You will be familiar at this point in time with the name of Dr. Kent Brantley, who's been working with Samaritan's Purse in Liberia since October 2013. A lot of controversy surrounding the fact that he's been able to come back home with Ebola, even though they're quarantined in the uh, Emory University Hospital in Atlanta. 
He recently made a statement. I'm not going to read the whole statement. I just want to read just a, a brief part to you. Dr. Brantley writes, he said, One thing I have learned is that following God often leads us to unexpected places. When Ebola spread into Liberia, my usual hospital work turned more and more toward treating the increasing number of Ebola patients. I held the hands of countless individuals as this terrible disease took their lives away from them. I witnessed the horror firsthand, and I can still remember every face and name. When I started feeling ill on that Wednesday morning, I immediately isolated myself until the test confirmed my diagnosis three days later. When the result was positive... I remember a deep sense of peace that was beyond all understanding. God was reminding me of what he had taught me years ago, that he will give me everything I need to be faithful to him. And he will. Faith is not easy because we cannot see. But the one we cannot see gives us everything to be faithful to Him. Do you know Him as your Savior this morning? Dear friends, if not, today, today, you make that choice in your life. 